and welcome to the Christina Talks podcast. So today I have the fantastic Tony Gargan, who is going to be joining me. A little while ago, I did an episode and I talked about how um, there just weren't enough women on the speaker circuit. So I'm bringing Tony in to help me talk about this and basically discuss some of the reasons why women don't seem to want to to show up at these events and, and take centre stage. Um, but yeah, she's just arrived into the, the virtual podcasting room. So I'm going to bring her in and we will get going. So Tony, welcome to the podcast. So pleased to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. It's my absolute pleasure. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So I'll come clean. The reason I wanted to bring you on is that when it comes to people that do what you do, there's a lot of others out there, but I do think you're the most convincing. Okay. So tell, so the world that I'm in, the world of recruitment, people may not, you know, foolishly, people may not know who you are. So give us a quick rundown. So I'm Tony Gargan. I have multiple strings to my bow, but the three areas I'm best known for are property investing, business masterminding, but my biggest passion without a shadow of a doubt is public speaking, getting a message out there, sharing with the world, earning lots of money and making a difference. That's pretty much what I do in a nutshell. Awesome. And it is the speaking stuff that I really wanted to talk to you about. Okay. So um, obviously the, the, the stuff that I'm very much involved in, the, the recruitment world, the, you know, and that's recruitment agencies and also in-house recruitment as well. And I know in your background, you've been very much involved in sort of HR and there's a bit of talent attraction in there and, and that kind of thing. But essentially, when we look at events that happen within the recruitment industry, the panels are white, male, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like, yeah, it's, it's kind of like the male and... They're male, they're British, they're in a grey suit or a blue suit with a white yeah. shirt or a blue shirt, and there is nothing different, yeah. <laughs> and there's, you know, I think there's there's masses of opportunity out there for women to step up and speak, but they don't. And I think there's a... Obviously, people have kind of made that decision that they want to when they're in the rooms with you but there's a bit of stuff that happens before that and that's what I really wanted to dig into into with you so what 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 are your thoughts on the on the whole thing you know what I couldn't agree more especially it was it's really bizarre because the role that I was in was HR and it was deemed to be a woman's job across the board so in the area that I was in because I was in really big area there were about 300 odd stores and within that, there were only two male HR managers. And it was very much like in this role, it's a woman's job. And then you see externally, when I've looked for external jobs in recruitment, it was like, I don't fit in because I'm not a man. I'm not, you know, the typical kind of stereotype for it. And I think I'd never really thought about that until I started doing kind of speaking and training because I fell into being a, a public speaker because I got into the, the property world and I, anyone who knows me knows that I don't love property. I just love the lifestyle it affords you. And what that does is gives me free time to follow my craft. And I love public speaking. I 
you know, there are so many people who have opportunities. And like you say, they either don't take that opportunity, they don't know it exists, or there is something holding them back. And quite often it's a fear or it's, you know, stepping out and getting out of their own way and putting their head above the parapet because they don't fit that mould of what's expected. And I think you and I differ in that respect in that you and I are the ones who are kind of championing it and saying, actually, we should be. That's a massive opportunity, not a, oh, there's not many people fulfilling that role and therefore we shouldn't do it. It's it's such a huge opportunity. But right now, I think that gives license to someone like you putting the, the you know, the message out there and saying women come and stand up because I'm not a raging feminist you know I'm not by any means but I'm all for equal opportunities and I don't think there's enough of them do you know I I'm I'm not a feminist either not a feminist but if I do see a speaker panel and I say it's that white male stale thing and I'm just like oh do I really want to go you know it's but the problem is when these panels appear, everyone goes back to the event organiser and it's kind of like, well, you know, they haven't, you know, why haven't they put a diverse panel together? And there's a lot of women that will say that panel's not diverse. You know, we're not, we're underrepresented. We're underrepresented. Get my teeth in today. I've done a lot of talking today. But the thing is, it's the same people are not stepping up. Exactly. So where is the response? Like, I know what I think the answer is. Okay, so I think the responsibility lies in those people to shout out and say we don't have a diverse panel. And I think there is a massive opportunity within the role that I was in. I was HR and I saw it as my responsibility to tell people you're eligible for this job. You should be shouting about it. So I think there's there's a definite mixed responsibility because those, especially those who go, oh, the panel's not diverse. Fabulous. What are you going to do about it? Oh, no, no, no. I couldn't possibly do that. Well, you know what? Stand up and stand out and show them how it's done and then be the guide and like to say, I've done it. You can too. So I think there is, there's a mixed responsibility. The ownership is on those people to say, we don't have a diverse enough panel and that brings its own challenges because then it's the well you know we're choosing someone who's of a certain ethnicity or a certain gender to fill a gap it's not it's to showcase opportunities have you ever been asked to speak at an event and when you've looked at it you've gone yeah I'm the token female (laughs) yes yes but I also you know I'm 99% driven by a desire to succeed and showcase my own success, but I'm 1% driven by spite. So therefore, <laughs> therefore, I'm like, I will be the token white female and I will kick everyone else on that stage's ass to prove that, you know, there is an opportunity for other people. The fact that, I, I don't think people talk about it enough. Look at me getting all passionate already. Oh, well, I knew you would. <laughs> That's why you're here. Uh, uh, yes, like either take the role and say and call it out I know I'm the only female here but you know what that's a massive opportunity for me to showcase to you exactly what opportunities there are and in fact that one phrase is what started my desire to be a speaker in the companies that I train for now because on and it wasn't a public speaking training it was a property speaking training but the trainer at that point in time said we need more speakers and trainers and in fact we have no female speakers and trainers. We've got one training up right now, but no one actually out there and doing it. 
And for some people, I think that's where it's kind of like, oh, well, it's obviously not a stage for a female then. Whereas I was like, challenge accepted. I then wanted to be a master trainer within the company. And my aim was to be the first female master trainer. And there was someone steps ahead of me and she got there first. And I'm so excited for her. And then it's like, okay, well, I want to be the next. And I became the second female master trainer. And I see these as challenges to push forward because too many people just kind of go, oh, yeah, it's the token female. Well, let's see what she's got to say. Or, you know, we look at a panel and we had this recently. I spoke on a women's only panel, which was fabulous. But even that was diverse because we had people from all different backgrounds because it's not always just, you know, the gender race thing. It's mm -hmm. also, you know, the working class with the really, you know, silver spoon in the mouth kind of class. It's the self-taught versus the expected to do it within a job role it's you know from this background or that background and all of those different things and I think we need to celebrate it more mm -hmm. when we see it but also not just highlight the problems like you're part of the problem if you go oh that's not diverse enough that panel do something about it then get off your backside and change it yeah. It's all right. I'm going to feed you with more. I'm going to feed you with more because I know one of the things that you are really passionate about is the fact that anyone can speak from the step, like anyone can do this. Anyone can and everyone should. I think we are blessed to live in a world where there are so many opportunities and it's, I think it's really sad when people have a voice and don't use it. And what I mean by that is, you'll like I've spoken to so many people and I'm, I love what I do and that hopefully shows through in the, the trainings that I deliver but those people who come in with a de desire to be a speaker I love to hone and nurture that and give them the skill set to do it and feedback to show the areas that they're doing really well in and give some tweaks and changes to improve but for me the biggest successes are those people who are kind of I'm here to be a wallflower I want to see what it's all about or the ones who say I can't or I shouldn't or I've got nothing to speak about. And they often, like, I think of some of those in my head now when there's a, a guy called John who came, who had such a, a big fear of speaking in front of people because when he was a teenager, it was part of his school curriculum. You will stand and deliver a speech. And he delivered the speech. And he, in his own words, he said he had like a, like a little bit of a tick. He was like pushing up imaginary glasses on his nose, but he wasn't wearing glasses. And when you're a teenager, you know, kids can be wicked and they picked up on it and they laughed. And therefore, he's now got this fear of public speaking. It's not the case, is it? You've got a fear of dealing with idiotic audience members, <laughs> not public speaking. So he was like, well, then I've got nothing to speak about. I'm like, talk about something you're passionate about. It doesn't matter what it is. Long story short, his passion is stand up paddle boarding. And I'm like, I've never even heard of it. Tell me a bit about it. He delivered his speech in front of a small group of people who showed an interest. It was like, that was really great. You're good at this. I'm really intrigued by what you've got to say. And that then just lit the, the touch paper for him to go from strength to strength to strength to then be the person who is teaching other people how to do it. That's, I think, the biggest reward when you are teaching people to become a public speaker. And I wholeheartedly, hand on heart, believe that anybody I've taught people with stammers I've worked with people who English isn't their first language you know I'm a scouser English is a second language for me <laughs> you know facial disfigurement so they're fearful of people looking at them loads of different things when actually that's exactly what you should call out and you should be the inspiration 
for other people then. So yeah, I get mass, as you well know, I get so passionate about it because I think it's a forgotten art form. I think people are missing huge opportunities to make money, to make a difference in their own life and other people's and to really stand for something that not enough people do. Yeah, I think the public speaking thing is, I don't think anyone, I don't think you can ever get 100% comfortable with it. You know, it, it's an act. You, you're Whether you're in front of a, a, a webcam delivering something over Zoom or you're on a stage with, you know, 200 people in the audience or just in front of a small room with 10 people in there, you still have the nerves. And I, I think this is something like, people will, they kind of see me doing things and they're like, oh, you make it seem so easy. And, and you're such a confident speaker as well. But I think we st- you still get that little rattle every now and then. Yeah, you'll get those people who say, well, it's easy for you, Christina. And I get that, you know, oh, well, you do it all. You're a natural speaker. No, not at all. Nobody is born, you know, with the, the, the ability to present in a certain way. It's all taught and it's all learned. But also that that little bit of fear and those nerves the day you lose those to me is the day you don't care anymore because if you're focusing on serving your audience in the right way because when you've got a little bit of you know nerves or anxiety around it it's because you want to perform it's because you want to give good service you want a good review at the end of it you want people to think he or she has just done amazing and therefore it's the fear of judgment but if you don't have that, you become complacent. You think that you're better than you are. You're serving yourself then only and not other people. And, you know, we look at what you do. That's because you know you can give a great service to people. And if you don't stand up and shout about that, whether it be in a verbal format, in a really good written format with your copy or whatever, you know, method you use for your marketing. I think I've flipped it on its head now and see that as if you don't get that message out there, you are doing people a disservice. Because, you know, your, your, your company and the, the service you provide is far superior to many of your competitors. And I'm saying it to you, Christina, but it's also to everyone listening, isn't it? Everyone here has got a competitor who is potentially doing better than them, whether that's on a speaking stage, whether that's the product or service you're selling, because they can market themselves better or they're willing to stand out and, you know, stand up and say, this is me and this is what I stand for. And I think that's such a crying shame that you are potentially missing these huge opportunities to help people and help yourself and that you if you don't flip it on its head and think actually I'm doing myself and them a disservice then you know if we all just kind of sat back the world would be a very boring place who wants to blend in 100% 100% agree I think that um you know it's about it's it's you're doing your duty at the end of the day, it's as simple as like you are doing your duty. And the thing is, you don't have to be the best speaker in the world. You just have to be prepared to open your mouth and, and talk. And I think that's the, people will look at me rambling for 20 minutes on something, okay? They'll look at someone doing so you know an hour long speech to you know thousands of people and they kind of look at that and go oh well you know that's where I should be aiming for but actually it's you know baby steps will do it and remembering that everyone that you I know you use the word ramble and you don't you give lots of value but you talking for 20 minutes with passion 
took for you to do the first 30 seconds elevator pitch, the people who you refer to on, you know, a one, a one hour, really, really good presentation. It's taken for them to do something first. And those baby steps are absolutely key. You know, speak in front of one or two people, put a piece of, of marketing out there, which is in your words and your voice and take a little bit of critique because none of us are ever going to be perfect. I am by no means the perfect speaker or anywhere near the finished article. And as I say, when you get to the point where you believe that and you, you know, you're fulfilling your own needs of self-importance, that's the day that you lose your audience because people connect with people. So I firmly believe that actually, if you do, you know, make a mistake, if you do ramble on a bit, forget what you were going to say, it makes you human and therefore makes you more relatable. And that is what's going to inspire people to go, oh, if he can do it, I can do it too. If she can do it, then why can't I give it a go? And the more people who do that, it's amazing that buzz you get, the reception that you get from other people, because every, you know, you, I love the fact that you said it's your duty. One of my, one of my mentors very, very early on used to say, and probably still does, I'll have to chase him off and check, that you have a moral obligation to get your message out there to the world. It's not about you. It's a moral obligation because if you've learned something, even if you've made so many mistakes by sharing those, you're preventing other people from making them. If you've got great success, you have a moral obligation to share that because look at how many other people you can help. So yeah, I, I no person who stands up on whatever stage it is, a physical stage, you know, a Zoom stage, uh, uh, presenting in any way, shape or form, no one is ever perfect. And the day that they believe they are is the day that I'll stop listening to them. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. Okie dokie. So there's, there's a few specific questions I, I wanted to make sure I, I kind of got in. Um, one of the things I think that, so if you started looking at speaker training, Okay, and and I think people people think they need to be taught how to speak, you know. And it's like my observation: you don't teach people how to speak; you just kind of unleash that little bit of power and excitement that turns them into a speaker. Yes, everyone like everyone is born, or the majority of people. I know it's not everyone, but the majority of us are born with the ability to speak. You're absolutely right. We don't give people, I don't teach people to speak. And in fact, it's so bizarre when we start speaker training to say to people, sometimes the words are irrelevant. In that, a lot of what you convey is your body language, it's your tonality, it's the facial expressions, it's the format that you deliver in, it's the connection you make with your audience. And a prime example being, I was doing something on stage and I said to the audience, I'm rubbish with maths, someone do the maths for me on this. And someone did it and they shouted it out and I wrote it up on the board. Can't even remember what the figures were. I wrote it up on the board. Thank you for sharing that. And we moved on to the next part. <laughs> and then later on in the day, I'm looking at the flip chart and I'm like, that maths doesn't add up. Get my calculator out. That maths doesn't even remotely add up. Someone has given me incorrect information. But the fact that I've gone, perfect, you've shared that with me. I've written it up on the board. Everyone else has believed it. Everybody there had believed it, not because of the words that I'd said, but because they bought into me. Because if you say something with enough volition, passion, you know, excitement, whatever the, the, whatever the movement or whatever the emotion is that you're sharing, 
we, I don't give you the tools to become a speaker. You've already got that inside of you. I just shine a light on it and let you see how good you actually can be. And it's a skill set that just needs some tweaks and changes sometimes to really see the benefit of it. Anyone can do it. Anyone. Yeah. I'm proof <laughs> of that. <laughs> I think that when I, so I got thrown into the pub, like what I would describe as public speaking. Okay. I, I was kind of like, oh, no, I, I don't stand in front of rooms. And then the um, fantastic woman I, I was working for basically double booked herself. And it was like, off you go, Christina. I was like, okay, well, I've seen it enough times. So it's like I, I did know it inside out. And it, I just had to rock up and blag it. Okay, it's, it's kind of a theme going through my life on that front. But we'll, we'll leave that alone for now. But then off the back of that, I was like, okay, how do I do that better? And so I hit the internet and read the books and all this kind of, and there's all these rules around public speaking. And I would suggest that the more I tried to stick to those rules, the worse I became. And at the point where I went bollocks to it, all of a sudden it was like I was being asked to speak by people that I thought were, you know, they they were kind of, I was little old me and they were like the, the influencers within the recruitment world, um, you know, and now they send me like stupid WhatsApp messages and little funny jokes and the rest of it. And I'm like, oh, look at me, oh, hanging out with the cool kids. So in terms of that rule book, you know, are, are there rules? Should there be rules? Are there rules? No. Are there guides? Yes. I think there's got to be boundaries to anything that you do. And you learn. So the way that I teach it is to learn a system. And that's what I mean about the words are, are less important. Because if you're speaking about something that you know really well or you're really passionate about, if I said to anybody, no matter what that subject is, go talk about something, that you, even if it's, you know, your family or your favorite car or whatever, speak for the next five minutes around that, you could. But the little barriers in our way go, oh, public speaking. And and that's why I don't like referring to it as public speaking. It's not. You're speaking in, it's Les Brown who says it, you know, you stand at a bus stop and you speak, you're speaking in public. You stand in front of one person and you speak, you're speaking in public. So stop putting this title and this fear around it. It's communication. And if we take away the barriers that we put in our own way of oh, to public speech, so therefore, you know, it's got to be perfect. It's got to be a certain way. I do teach systems that are linear and that are easy to forget, but that's to overcome the challenges that we've seen so many people have, which is forgetting what they're going to say, feeling like I could talk for five minutes around X subject, but I ramble a little bit and there's no kind of order to it. So I don't think there are rules as such. I think there is a system to follow or a process to follow. And the reason that you've seen yourself go from the kind of more robotic sticking within the guidelines that the rule says this, you must do that. What that loses then is its authenticity and people buy into people. When, even if I want to say that people often think I'm talking about selling a product or a service. No, I mean buying into you. And I'm talking about whether your public speech is on a stage at Wembley Stadium or whether it's, you know, 30 seconds or however long you get when you're speed dating. Because it's all selling. It's all pitching in some way. And we've all met someone who on first instance, you think, oh, they're really lovely. And then, you know, you meet them two or three times later and think, oh, you're a bit of a dick, you know, <laughs> opposite. because anyone can put that front on for a little while. So I think, uh, I believe that public speaking is as simple as ABC and it relies on you being authentic. A is authenticity. 
B is believability, which is a belief in yourself that around what you're speaking about, but also that your audience find you believable. And that relies on C, which is you being congruent. You can't be like, you were never meant to be constrained by rules, Christina, let's be honest, you know. Someone gives you a rule book, it's like, what can I use this for? It's going to be fuel for fire, you know. It, it, it's going to, it, it holds people in. It stops you from being who you are. And I think that's when you've learned the system. So we talk about going from a level of competence where it's like, I can do this, to then adding in your own personality, which is where it becomes an artistry. You know, you, you, you're relying on step by step. It's got to be this word followed by this word. I've seen those speakers, I've heard them on stage and they can deliver a word perfect speech every time. But for me, that only works the first time because the next time I see you and I hear you say exactly the same things and have exactly the same movements at those points, to me, that's then inauthentic. And what people want to know is that they can do it too. So if you fluff your lines or if it's different every time or you add something new in or, you know, you make a mistake and you laugh at your own joke, that's when you get the connectivity and that's when the congruence is there. I, I think there is something, it's the, the, the big, the, the click for me is it was really about embracing the fact that sometimes I speak too fast and I trip over my words. So if that happens, I just need to pause, acknowledge it and carry on. Sometimes I get too excited and I forget where I'm at. So I just need to let the world know that I've forgotten where I'm at because I'm excited, reset and move on. And it's almost like these, that, that point, it's, it's almost like embracing your own flaws. Okay, the things you would have seen as flaws before. It's like now actually you don't see them as flaws anymore. You go, actually, that's the bit that makes me entertaining. Yes. So when you when I talk about teaching people public speaking, it's not we're teaching those skill sets. The ability to pause as a speaker is an art form. I speak too fast. It is my my everyone has a natural state when they're speaking and some people are melodic. And when they speak, it's like this. And some people are monotone. And when they speak, they need to add some additional flavor and light and shade. And some people like you and I are really energetic or speak too fast. And it's firstly knowing what your default setting is and to being able to either call it out, which is what you do when you get excited and you lose your way. Calling it out is just owning it. This is me. Take me or leave me. And people will judge you anyway. You know, people make that split second decision. So whether you are the most rehearsed and practiced speaker or you're you with your little misnomers and your foibles and those things that make you you. Those people who were attracted to you will be attracted more. Those who'd already made a split second decision, you know, I'm not for you and that's okay. And that's when you really own your stage, whatever format that is, is when you realise people are going to judge you anyway. So let them judge you for being the real you or personality, mistakes, successes and all. There was a, there was a big kind of turning point, I guess, in terms of my confidence in my ability and I, I was at an event and someone was speaking um, who, who is now a, a mentor of mine. And from stage, she said, at the end of the day, if there's 100 people in the room, 20 people are going to like you, 20 people are going to hate you, and the rest just won't care. So just speak for those 20 people that like you. Just forget about the rest of them. And I just thought, do you know what? 100%. And it's... It's that perspective, isn't it? That perspective of 
you know, let's say you don't put yourself out there, you don't put yourself on a stage in whatever format you don't speak. You walk down the street, 20% of the people are going to judge you and go, oh, really, she looks lovely. I like her hair, I like her clothes. 20% of the people are going to be like, what is she wearing? Don't like her hair. And the rest of the people won't even notice you when they walk past you. It's the same. We're just putting ourselves on a, a different stage. And I love that your mentor has shared that because I think until you've experienced that and you believe it, because we all hear these things, don't we? But until you believe it and think, actually, that's true. You know, you are going to attract those people that are meant to be attracted to you. And the ones who judged you within a split second, you know, they it doesn't matter what you say or do. You're never going to bring those around. And that's okay. And it's that phrase of that's okay. I'm fine with that. Like, judge me or there will be people who turn this podcast on and then go oh can't listen to that voice turn it off okay I'm not for you but by the way you don't even know what you're missing out on <laughs> but for those people who kind of connect with you immediately the more you say the more you do the more they connect with you and, and that's that's okay yeah but you know it's kind of it's given me a bit of confidence as well like let's say I'm on a webinar I, I'm presenting and there's Let's say there's, there's, you know, 100 people, and actually there's 100 people in the audience, and it's kind of like, as I'm talking, I might be like 20 minutes in, and I'm like, I've got half an eye, well, I've still got 95 people in the room, you know, and it, you, you finish it, and you look at the retention, and you just think, it's like every time someone leaves, you're closer to success, you know, and it's kind of like, you know, if I've got 100 people on a webinar... And, you know, at the end of it, there were only 12 people on. I'd never be doing that webinar again because it's not me as a speaker. It's like that content's not right. I'm not connected with it right. I'm not selling it right. And it's almost like, actually, if you start looking at retention and it's the same when you're talking in a room. You know, how many people are still in that room 10 minutes in? Because if they think you're shit, they're not going to hang around, are they? And a webinar is easier to do that. You know, I don't know if you've ever done a webinar. And I always tell people when you're doing your first webinar, you need to have half an eye on it, but you also need to remove yourself from the outcome because if you sit watching that and go, someone else has left, you then start going, oh, they've left at the point I've said this. I said that I shouldn't do it again. No, because delivery is a delivery and it's not right for them. That's self-selection. And that's a good thing because it means then you don't have to say no to the clients who aren't the right fit for you or say yes to those or try and, you know, coerce those who are the right clients. Self-selection is great. But not only that, you look at the end of a webinar and I don't know if you've ever done it where you've accident accidentally left it on. And maybe five, 10 minutes later, there's still those same 12 people on. You know what? Those 12 people weren't really listening because they're on a webinar, but they've just gone to make a cup of tea or they're putting the kids to bed or whatever so you can never judge it and and I think having a perspective around it is important and I do this in live rooms and I'll give you one example I was in a live speaker room I was delivering a presentation which also had a sale to it and I was part way through and there's these two guys sat on the second row this room had over 400 people in it second row and every time I spoke they were like looking at one another and then they giggle and in my head, there is me kind of the part of me going 99% driven by a need to succeed. So therefore, I really want to get those people on, on, on board. And the 1% going, they need to shut up now because they're really getting my head in. And all of these voices are happening in your head while you're live on stage. But my mentors have always told me it's about gratitude, perspective, service. 
gratitude for having the opportunity to be there because not everyone is, is comfortable enough to get their voice out there. Perspective of, that is two people out of over 400. And if you focus on the potential negative of those two people, you're doing a disservice to over 398 other people. And that's not fair because the S is for service. And I remember thinking to myself, you're here to serve everyone else. Two people is not everyone. But you do that, don't you? Oh, the whole audience felt like this. How many? Well, it was 10. Well, how many? Were... All right. Well, it was one person who said this. So we exacerbate it. And then I got to the sale and I was already thinking, well, these two are just going to titter amongst themselves and joke. And I offered, I made my offer and it was a go to the table to secure your place. And I, I offered the opportunity. And to my complete, complete and utter disbelief, these two guys stood up and were the first ones over. And I'm thinking, that's unexpected. So at the end of the delivery, obviously people come up and have a chat with you. And they said, do you know what? We were sat there while you were presenting thinking, we've never, why have we never noticed this before? And I was talking to my son and we were talking about it. And then there were certain points where you'd say something. It's like, it's so obvious. Oh my God, why haven't we said that? And we'd laugh about it. So when you made the offer, it was just a no-brainer. Now, if I'd have left that little perspective of, oh, two people don't like me in my head, I'd have buzzed up the delivery for everyone else. I'd have ruined the sale. I'd have you know, focused on the outcome of the result. And also I'd have done disservice to everyone else. But the fact that then, you know, quite often, people are fully engaged, fully engaged, and you've just made that decision. So yeah, focus on the perspective of it, of, of this is a test and each time is just to get better. The best lead I've ever had from a speaking gig is um, we were at the, where were we, at, at Olympia um, for the Recruitment Agency Expo. And I'm talking to the room and towards the, the sort of, you know, three quarters of the way back, there's a guy, quite a big guy, and he's like falling asleep. I'm on stage, all on my little own, trying to entertain the world. And this, this falling asleep. And it's just like, like what is it? And it was like, so you, you're presenting and I'm thinking, right, you know, take, take your attention somewhere else. There's someone here on the front row writing everything down, okay? Now, when it got to the end of the session, the first person to leave the room was the person on the front row who had been writing everything down. First person to come and talk to me to tell me how wonderful I was was a guy who'd been falling asleep. Now, I don't know, there might be something in that anyway. You know, he was asleep, so there, you know, maybe he just had a really good dream. But he, you know, he went on to do some business with us. And it was like, it, it was a fantastic contract to win. I was, you know, someone that is, um, at that point, I wouldn't have considered myself as a natural born salesperson. I, I do see it quite differently now. Um, but yeah, it's like you, that, that person in the room that seems really disengaged quite often is the person that's, Taken in every word. He could be, you think he's fallen asleep when actually he's so engrossed in what he's saying that he's, you know, this is really good, or he's lying there and thinking this, or the same with the person who you perceive to be, you know, describing everything down there. They might be writing a bloody shopping list. They're not listening to a word you're saying. They're meal planning for the next week. The person who sat there, you know, uh, yawning and stretching, you know what? They might have just driven for five hours to come and listen to you. And, and it's about removing yourself from that outcome. You can never second guess what each person there is thinking or doing. And the more energy you spend on that, the less you spend on actually telling people what you do, why you do it, and, and helping and serving people. And that's a, that comes with experience, doesn't it? Because 
even though I'd been told about these things, you know, the first gigs, I was like, does he look like he's enjoying it? Does she look like she's getting involved? You know, you're in your own head. And that's why people need to do it more because mm-hmm. the first delivery of whatever shape or format you do, the first presentation, pitch, sale, delivery, it's never going to be your best. You don't yet know that you can and the fear is there. And the more you do it, the more comfortable you get, the more able you are to allow your own personality to come out. And that's what then brings on all of these additional contract people support. Yeah, I think that the benefits to public speaking are just that they're massive on so many different levels. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could literally sit and list a million different reasons. But if we put it in its simplest format, you improve your confidence. When your confidence improves, your delivery improves. Which therefore means your sales or your conversions or your, your interactions, the contracts, the number of prospects that you get improves. And then people get value from what you get, from what you offer. So therefore, after that, as well as that, your lifetime client value improves. Your referrals improve. The amount of people who come to you without you having to market improves. And every single one of those is a confidence boost. So therefore, you get better and better and better. So you make more money. And when you make more money, it gives you the opportunity to employ more people, which brings more service into the world, more economics into the world. And when you're doing that, you're not only helping your, like, I'm so passionate about this. You're helping other people's families. You're giving jobs. You're giving support. You're giving confidence. You're stopping people. I've taught people public speaking who you assume you're delivering that those speeches because it's a job or a, you know, a business when I've had people who I've delivered speeches to or I've you know taught the skill set of public speaking and they've gone actually it was for confidence to go and have a chat with my dad who I haven't spoken to for years and we're not mending the relationship but I've got closure or I've had a really awkward conversation with a boss that I've been so fearful of doing because they've just got confidence so the results of it and the impact of it is honestly immeasurable and the irony being I never actually intended to do this and now it's the biggest part of what I do I get the most pleasure from it you know you touch the most lives doing it the most impact and you know you inspire people three eyes I have systems for everything I'm a geek three eyes you inspire people whether that's to take action in their own life to follow in your footsteps or just to believe in themselves from the inspiration becomes the impact that you make. And the more lives you impact in this world, the more successful you will be, which ultimately leads to more income. And who doesn't want more income? So those three eyes for me, inspiration leads to income, leads to, imp- uh, leads to impact, leads to income. And you just keep rolling with it. Mm-hmm. Rolling with it. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. So next thing I want to discuss. Okay. So when we're thinking about public speaking, we're thinking about maybe more across the lines of sort of motivational speakers, that that sort of stuff. Everyone's got a story to tell. And I know um, we've had conversations because I feel very uncomfortable telling my story in that situation and I'm in this kind of like, you know, how, how important is it that, because I think there's lots of different ways to, to gain that buy-in from, from an audience. But I know you, you kind of like, you're like, everyone's got a story to tell and they should tell their stories. The scariest thing is that often people take the story to the grave. And everyone's got a story that 
you know, is inspirational, is impactful, is going to help people to to avoid a mistake or learn a lesson, or is going to inspire them to do something different. And one of the biggest privileges that I have is hearing other people's stories, and it's often the biggest barrier. And I know that because that was my biggest barrier. You know, I was told by my mentors, everyone's got a story. And I was like, great, let them tell it. Nothing to do with me. <laughs> you know, I've nothing's, I haven't got a story. Everybody has. And the irony being, I watched Pretty Woman the other night because that's the kind of person I am. So I'm in the background and there's one guy in it who you hear right at the start and right at the end who's shouting out at the top of his lungs in the middle of the street. Everybody's got a story. What's your story? And in fact, I ran an event recently and there was a, a lovely lady who said, you know what, from a teenager, I've always asked people that instead of asking, how are you? Or what do you do? Which are the common phrases, you know, what's the weather like? What do you do? Well, that doesn't define you. What's your story? And when you allow people in, that for me is the biggest connection point because I learned the hard way when I struggled to tell my story, so much so that on this training course, I packed my bags ready to leave. There was no way I was delivering that story because who wants to listen to my story? You know, it's not inspirational. It's not motivational. And then it was a long time after, if I'm honest, I, I put in the hours, I put in the practice. I did as I was told because I'm a bit of a geek that way. And I think it took for me delivering my story for somebody else. There was um, a young lady who came up to me after my presentation and said, I just wanted to say thank you because your story resonated with me so much. And in fact, it's inspired me too. And for her, it was to go out and start a new business and to not allow the past to hold it back. And when she sent me a message literally a couple of months later and she was like, business is set up, got the first property underway. And I'm like, ah, that's why you tell your story. And the biggest lesson for me is that you don't tell your story for you. And because we're we're often, you know, quite British in our, you know, we don't speak about our feelings. We don't speak about our income, the successes and the failures. Speaking about successes, it's bragging. Speaking about your failures, people will dislike you. All of those, it's just, it's bull. It's absolute bull because every movie that you watch has some sort of hero's journey. Every, you know, song that you listen to has highs and lows in it. And it's the same with your story. And the more people you can, the more impact you can make a game with that story. And when you realise that you are never telling your story for yourself. I've heard my story. I don't need to say it again and again and again, but other people do. And your story, Christina, is so unbelievably powerful that, again, I'm going to say the same phrase, you are doing people a disservice because people make those judgments, don't they? They'll make those snap judgments. Or those people in your industry will go, oh, it's all right for Christina. Actually, it wasn't. And that understanding of that gulf between the Christina we see before us today versus the person who's faced some massive challenges, that creates a whole new level of connection, of inspiration, of understanding. And that, I think, is why everyone should tell their story. And it is my life's mission to get as many out there to tell their story to you know to, to impact so many different lives because when you do that and when you let people in that's when you really connect with people you do that when you're in a relationship and you know until you really let people in you don't really have that connection and I think it's the same in business in life you know everyone's got a story and by you sharing yours often it gives permission for other people to share theirs they might be waiting for it. 
Stop being so selfish. Share your story, Christina. <laughs> I'm very, very selfish. I don't share. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so you, you talked about highs and lows there as well. So I know you've done some amazing things speaking wise and we'll come on to those world records and things like that um but before we do right give us a right so come on then tell your story where like one time it all went wrong oh i've yeah absolutely loads um once in a very small way was when i stepped up on stage but my shoe didn't so i hobbled across the stage with one high heel on walking like quasimodo and i was like just owning it calling it out there um but i have had one delivery in front of my mentees which you know it was one of those days where it's like oh it can go wrong oh categorically we should make it go wrong there. i had everything you know when people think of public speaking and they go well we could do it because of and they reel off all these reasons all of that happened so I stood up on the stage and one of the, there was two screens and one of the projectors had died. So this screen wasn't working. So I focused on this one. And then the clicker decided not to work. So I'm trying to inadvertently trying to get the event manager to come and, you know, test the batteries and get that work. And all in the meantime, I'm walking over to the, pressing the button, walking away when I, you know, it was like the, <laughs> it's like the government going next slide, please. Next slide, please. So I had to keep walking over and pressing the button. And I'm like, it's fine. I've got this. But then my computer decided it no longer wanted to work. So therefore, I've now got a clicker that's redundant. I've got one screen that's out of action and one screen that's showing one screen, one piece of the, the PowerPoint presentation, but the computer is now died. And amongst all of this, I am in the middle of delivering a sale to the people I have taught how to deliver a sales pitch. So they know everything that I'm doing. They know everything that is coming next. And they were already judging me because it's like when your teacher shows you something and then you're like, I'm just going to critique you on that. And not only did they think it was really, really funny, but someone decided to heckle me. And I'm like, oh my God, like what else can go wrong? And in my head is that part of the brain going, this is royally balls up. This is a nightmare. You need to just walk off stage. And then the other side going, you've taught these people how to do this. So you need to teach them the skill set and how to deal with it. I plowed through. I knew a slides inside and out. I knew what I was offering. I made the offer. I called out all of the mistakes because they weren't things that you could just brush under the carpet. And I delivered a sale. And that actually turned out to be my best ever sales conversion because every single person in that room bought and two people bought for their partners as well. And I was like, ha, this shit works. But at that point in time, you know, when like even your eyelids are sweating because you're that worried about it all, sweaty palms. And it's like not, I just wanted the world to open up, the ground to open up and swallow me whole. And it was like, I can't just walk away either. This is not an instance that I can do that. So yeah. That's the one that springs to mind as the the, the worst mistakes. <laughs> Do you know? I I think it's the um, the heckling thing is the that's the thing that's hardest to deal with, because everything at like the tech failures and and all that kind of stuff that's all. It's like you have to experience that to become better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like once you've had a day where your slides won't work and you've just got to go for it. And or you've had a day where perhaps you haven't prepared quite as much as you should have done, and then it all happens. It's like that's a good lesson to learn, you know. And it's but when you've got, I think there are different types of heckler. 
Yeah, this was a heckler who was on board and was comfortable enough to heckle me. And it was like, come on, get on with it. What's the offer? What are you selling us? Uh, and the ability, because that rapport was there already, the ability to own it was okay. But there will be instances, and I've got to be honest, they are so few and far between. I have genuinely lost count of the amount of presentations that I've delivered. Um, we're in the thousands. And I can't think of a single instance where someone has purposely heckled. Now, there have been instances where people don't know that they're heckling in that they are the person who asks a question after a question after a question. And you've been there, haven't you? You know, when other people in the room are kind of like, and you've got to manage that. Or the person who just disagrees with everything. I, I see your viewpoint, but I disagree. And you can handle a few of those, but then part of you wants to go, if you disagree, you know, the door <laughs> off you go. Again, they are the things where the skill set that we teach rather than the speaking the words, that's where the skill set of, you know, having really good proximity when you've got people who are, they're not heckling you, but they're having a conversation between themselves, but they're, they're shouting so loud, you know, they're whispering like this and everyone else can see it and hear it. So you can't leave it unnoticed. But you also don't want to call it out. But I think as well, though, when when you are on stage, you forget that everyone in that room wants you to succeed. Like no one is waiting for you to fail. So if you're, you know, if if the nerves have got you a little bit and someone says something, you you just you assume that it's you don't see it as a question. You assume that you are being questioned. You're what you're presenting. And it's kind of. Yeah. And it's like, you know, they, they just ask you where the, you know, where the loos are or something like, you know, it's kind of like it's nothing. And you're like, <gasps> you know, and, and it, it's. I think it's really, it's really easy to forget that those people are in that room because they want to hear from you. I, like you are projecting your fears onto them, then aren't you? You're projecting all of those doubts and concerns that you've gone onto the stage, whichever format it is, in your mind, and you're saying, "Oh, that's what they're doing." I've I love watching live comedy. There is nothing more painful than watching you act night and seeing someone die on stage. Like you don't want them to fail. You're willing them to say something funny, even though everything they've said so far isn't funny. You are willing them to say something funny because then you're behind them and you want them to succeed. Because if the person in front of you on that stage feels or looks awkward, that it's reflected, you feel and look awkward. So it's a little bit like, oh, it's a bit cringy. And that perspective that you've just mentioned of the audience are behind you. And, you know, nine times out of 10, people have paid to be there or they've taken up time to be there. And even if the people listening now are thinking, oh, well, you know, in my job, that's not the case. In my job, I had people who sat in an induction or a health and safety or a food safety training, not because they wanted to be there, but because they had to. And having a speaker skill set to then take what where I genuinely had someone fall asleep in one of my presentations, Christina, it was, you know, the thing where you're resting on your arm. And the only thing that woke him up was when he fell off his own arm. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is painful. So I went from being the person going, nope, don't want to do presentations to then, as you've just said, kind of going, well, how can I make it more interesting? How can I still deliver that content? So it's not about the words were irrelevant. The words I used were the same. It was the order that you're delivering, the highs and the lows, the tonality, the personality, rather than just 
throwing information at them and allowing them to fall asleep. So yeah, honestly, anything can be delivered in an engaging way. And most of the time people have paid money or taken time out of their lives to listen to you. So they want you to succeed. So you need to go in with that viewpoint of they want me to succeed. I want me to succeed. Let's rock and roll. I mean, I I know you've done so much, but you've done so much stuff. Um, you've been involved with Guinness World Records, but, you know, is that the ultimate high? Is there another speaking experience that was kind of like, that is the, the piece de resistance? So the being part of, of a couple of world records is, you know, a massive privilege and I wouldn't have had the opportunity had the progressive property, progressive success not set those up and to be a part of those and to have, you know, the little poster on the wall and the, the accolade of that is amazing. The ability to use that to raise money for people is amazing and it's an honour. But honestly, the biggest successes for me are the ones where someone says, I can't, and then they do. They're the ones that nobody, you know, if you ask a lot of speakers, theirs will be, you know, the day I stood on stage in front of X amount of people or the day I got this many sales and they're all great for me. But for me is when you have the person who says I can't or I shouldn't or, you know, they've got a fear, a doubt or concern. And then you take them from that small acorn and then however many days, weeks, months or years, whether it's that they've just spoken in front of two or three people and kind of gone, oh, this works and the pennies dropped. Or they've sent you a message and gone, I've gone from that to doing this. Like, it sounds really, really cheesy, but I'm very fortunate that I make a lot of money doing what I do. But those people are the reason why I still keep doing it, because anyone can go out there, you know yourself, you could take on client after client after client and make a shed load of money, but it's not always about that. That's the byproduct of it. When you've got a client who's gone from spending a shed load on marketing and having completely the wrong brand and out there the wrong ideas to then just small incremental changes and a bit of advice and guidance from you and it's skyrocketed. It's like, that's why I do this. Mm -hmm. So honestly, the biggest successes for me have been when I've had people who've, you know, broken down completely and said they can't deliver a speech to then standing at the end of a, a training and giving a 30 minute presentation to a standard ovation. That's, that's the big wins for me. Cheesy but true. Amazing. Amazing. Tony, thank you so much for joining me today. I know we've kind of covered loads of topics and I, I just, I knew the stuff you'd be passionate about. Anyone listening to this, I just hope they, you know, and it's not about, you know, if you're a woman listening to this, go and, you know, do something. Although I, you know, I would invite you to reach out to, to either of us if, you know, if that's something you need help with. Um, but it's like anyone really, you know, it's we should all be taking these opportunities. We should all be seeking out these opportunities or creating them for ourselves. But if people are really kind of stuck and they're like, this all sounds great. I just don't know where to start. What's your WhatsApp number? No, how do I contact you? <laughs> do you know what? That, that's so true, isn't it? It's not just about that. I'm looking for this type of person or that type of person. If there are people who think, I could maybe do that or I need some help or support. You can find me on all social medias. I am Tony Gargan on every single one. I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram. And I love helping people to get that out there and even just kind of like a challenge. You know, when people go, I couldn't possibly do that. It won't work in my industry. I can't do it. I shouldn't do it. I'm like, challenge accepted because 
everyone I, I agree completely with what you've got to say yes there is definitely a, a certain well there's a couple of certain types of demographics that are not well represented enough and if we're focusing on the recruitment industry there is such an opportunity right now to stand up and stand out and to get out of your own way and if you are one of those people who's gone oh that's not a diverse enough panel I challenge you to do something about it I can help you give, get the skill set Christina can help you get the skill set but no one can force you to do it and I think you then opening the door where you say you know opening the opportunities you're then opening the doorway for everybody else who you aren't seeing on those stages right now so get out of your own way and JFDI <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.